So I have to tell you uh, that uh, many of you probably know that Shabbos Agadol and Shabbos Shuvah, to be honest, are two of my favorite uh, Shabbos of the year uh, because I love uh, the opportunity to get together um, so many of us in, in shul and to learn together and to really have, I think I usually feel to have a good time and to grow together as a community. Um, and so it's tremendously disappointing uh, to be giving Shabbos the Shabbos Gadol this way. Um, but I have to tell you also that I've never been so excited to give the Shabbos Gadol and to get together with all of you because uh, it's a time that we need each other very badly. And uh, I get so much chizik from the daily opportunities to get together in Chamariv and the other times that we've been able to share, uh, to learn together, just to talk together uh, anytime someone's reached, reached out. Um, I know I'm the one supposed to be giving a lot of chizik. Uh, I get so much chizik from everybody uh, who just uh, is doing so much for each other and doing so much for their families and for community. And it's really uh, been very, very beautiful for me to see. And it just gives me a lot of chizik to be together. So thank you for joining us tonight. And I look forward to uh, continuing to do what we always do, which is to learn together and to grow together as we approach uh, one of the most beautiful Yom Tovim that we have in our calendar. I saw a beautiful story uh, this week. Maybe you saw it also. And uh, it's told by uh, one of the best storytellers of our time right now, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Who, uh, and Rabbi Jacobson told a story that one time he was giving a class to a group of women, specifically a group of women who were not married. Many of them had been divorced. And at one point he was doing a question and answer and one of the women raised her hand and she told him the following story. She said, you know, me and my ex-husband, we don't have a very good relationship and we have shared custody. And we swap, we switch off having the children for Yontif. And one year, I, it was my turn to have the kids for Pesach. And I was so excited and I spent the whole, you know, getting ready, turned my house over. I cooked a million things. I told my friends and my family and everybody, my kids are coming. Don't worry, I don't need you. I'll be with my family for Yontif. And then one hour before Pesach, my ex-husband called and told me that my kids weren't coming for Pesach. She said, I almost fainted from disappointment. And I didn't call anybody. I could have called my parents or I could have called my friends. I could have come to them for the Seder. And I didn't. I just, I just couldn't do it. I was so sad. And I had the Seder by myself. Just me and a Seder plate. I did the mitzvahs of the night, but I didn't in about 20 minutes. And it was over. It, was, it wasn't Pesach. She said it was Tisha B'Av. And she said, Rabbi, tell me, did I, did, was, did I do something wrong? Was that wrong that I had the Seder by myself? And Rabbi Jacobson looked at the woman and said, I want to tell you a story. He said, in 1988, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's wife passed away. And if you know anything about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know that the Lubavitcher Rebbe and his wife did not have any children. In fact, they used to spend every Shabbos meal together, just the two of them. And that year, Pesach was coming, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who had 
organize Sidarim for thousands and thousands of people throughout the world through his shlichim who set up Pesach Sidarim for everybody else was prepared to have the Seder by himself. And a young man came over to the Rebbe on the night of the Seder and said, you know, does the Rebbe want to come to our house? He said, no, it's okay. The Rebbe's assistant offered to stay with him. He said, no, it's okay. I'm going to have the Seder by myself in my office at 770. And Rabbi Jacobson was a Talmud at the time in Crown Heights. He said he and a couple of friends snuck out in the middle of their Seder to run to the door by 770. They saw the Rebbe open the door, walk out to greet Eliyahu and Navi and go wave to them and went back inside. And Rabbi Jacobson said, you know, I never really appreciated the power and why it was that the Rebbe who could have had a, he could have had a Fabrengen, he could have had a Seder with a thousand people if he wanted to, and instead he had it all by himself. Why did he do that? Why did he sit by himself with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? And he says, today after hearing your story, I may have discovered the answer. As a true Jewish leader, the Rebbe wished to empower all those who would ever need to have a Seder alone. He wanted them to know that their solitary Passover Seder was powerful, meaningful, and real. Jewish history and the Divine Presence would dwell at their Seder, just as it does at a Seder that has many people there. We're all going to have a Seder this year that is uh, very different than any Seder we've ever had before. Some people will unfortunately have a Seder all by themselves. Others will be missing their parents or their grandparents or their children or their grandchildren, their cousins, their aunts and uncles. And simply the atmosphere outside in the world that surrounds us right now and is really choking us right now creates an environment on which, under which the vast majority of us have never had a Pesach and certainly not any other Yantif before. And yet, we have to find the strength to have a meaningful experience at the Seder, to make it a real Pesach Seder, no matter the challenges that we currently face. And tonight I want to share with you an idea that I hope is going to resonate with you and give us something to think about, not only at the Seder itself, but a message that I, that I hope can carry us through the entire experience. If you turn to source number two on your sheet, and again, I'm not going to focus too much on the sheets uh, tonight, but you have it. I'll, I'll reference them so that you have them. Source number two is just one, a section you find in every, every Haggadah in the whole world. And that is that after, after benching, before Halal, the, Seder, the, the Haggadah tells us that at this point we pour a cup of wine. And that cup of wine is poured for the prophet Elijah. While the cup of Eliyahu is on the table, the door is opened for the prophet Eliyahu. Everyone rises and then says the paragraph known as Shvoch Hamascha Elagoyim. It's a, it's a moment of the Seder that we remember from the time that we're young children. Uh, we all look to see if Eliyahu drank from the cup or didn't drink from the cup. Um, I've had a very special affinity for this minog my entire life. In fact, when I lived in Charleston, there was for two years I lived in Charleston, and there was a like a um, 
a little gift shop. It wasn't even a shop. It was more like a cupboard that had different gifts you could get. And they had this humongous koshal yo, and I was like, I loved it. And I wanted it so badly, but I never like did anything about it. I didn't want to buy it. And then when it came time for me and Hani to move, the sisterhood gave it to us as a gift. This very, very big, actually some, some bring down the minak to have the koshal yo, it should be extra, extra large. And, uh, and we have it and we use it uh, to this very day in our house. But it's kind of a strange minuk. Because what's the purpose of that cup? If anything, you pour a lot of, if you have a big one like me, you pour all this grape juice in, it goes to waste. Everyone's kicking the table to make it spill, even more wasting. Well, like, what, what is this about? What are we doing? And why do we call it koshal Elio? What, Elio comes to drink it, even though he doesn't come to drink it, so, so why is it named after him? What is this minig all about? So the first answer um, is, is as follows. There happens to be a machlokis, a dispute, amongst the Rishonim, the Achronim, the early and later commentaries, as to whether four cups is all there is. We know our whole life there's four cups at the Seder, but the truth is it's not that simple. The Mishnah in Psachim, in source number three, tells us that, that everybody has to have four cups of wine at the Seder. Even if a person can't afford it, so we have to make sure they have it. Four cups, everyone has four cups. And Yerushalmi in source number four points out, where do we get this idea of four cups from? So there are actually a number of approaches, a number of years we talked about uh, the idea of the four cups being the four cups from the dream that, uh, that the Sar HaMashkim has in, the, in jail about the, the, the cup of Paro. And that's, it says that four times, but that's one approach. But the main approach, the approach we always talk about is one that's found in Yerushalmi and Psachim. Source number four, which is Minayin La'arba Kosos. How do I know that we have four cups? Rabbi Yochanan Meshem Rabbaniya Keneged Arba Geulos. The four times that it says, that talks about different types of redemption. If you look in source number five, it's found there in Parshas in, uh, Va'era. Where Hashem tells us, tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Lachain and Morni Bnei Yisrael, Ani Hashem, I'll take you out from the boundage of Mitzrayim, and I'll save you from the, from the, uh, from the work, and I'll, and I'll redeem you, and with tremendous miracles. And then he says, that's what's going to happen after you come out of Mitzrayim, it's not just to go free, but to become a nation, my nation, Am Yisrael. So those four different languages, types of Geula, are represented by the four cups at the Seder. Okay, and in fact, the Gemara Mesachim tells us, Tanra Ban in source number six, Revi'i Gomri Alavasahala. What do we do with that fourth cup? So that fourth cup is poured right at this same moment. It's poured with the goal of using that cup at this, for the, for the Hala. We do one cup that we hold for the for the uh, for Kiddush, and then one cup for Magid, and one cup for for benching. And then one cup for halal. Each cup provides a certain grandeur and a certain beauty and a certain chashivas. Right? It gives a special, a special appreciation for the mitzvah that we use a cup of wine. Fine. However, if you look in the riff, in source number seven, the riff has a different girsa, a different language of the Gemara. And he writes, Chamishi, Omer Alaf Halel Hagadol, Divir Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan is of the opinion that there's actually a fifth cup. And with that fifth cup, we don't say the regular Halal, but rather Halel Hagadol. If you notice in the Halel, 
in uh, in the in the Haggadah is actually very long. It's a much longer halal than the halal we're used to because it includes the Hodi Lashem Kitov Kilam Chasto and all a lot of that we notice that we uh, recognize from Sukkot Zimra on Shabbos. But a lot of these extra pieces, which is called halal hagadals, Rabbi Tarfan's of the opinion that you have a fourth cup for the regular halal, but the fifth cup is used for halal hagadal. And the riff is not alone. If you look in source number eight, you have the Rambam. The Rambam writes, if you look in the third line, a person should pour a fifth cup at the Seder. If I told you this without sources, you'd tell me I was crazy. What am I talking about? Five cups at the Seder. Velomer alav halal gadol and say halal gadol on it. Hodo shem kitov. Al naras bava v'koz zeh eno chova kama arba kavos. Which says the Rambam not so fast. Even Rabbi Tarfon would agree that this is this fifth cup is not required. It's an option if you'd like to. Fine. And in fact, the Ramah of Moshe Isselis in source number five in the Shulchan Aruch itself, when he talks about the idea of drinking. You're not allowed to drink more than four cups. You drink four cups of wine, and then we know we're not allowed to drink anything else at the end of the Seder to keep this, the taste of the matzah in our mouths. And he writes, and He says, A person wants to drink more after the Seder. So drink, you're still thirsty? Drink a fifth cup. And say with this fifth cup. So where does this fifth cup come from? If it was Arbil Lashonas of Geula, how do I get a fifth? So go back to source number five. You find in that same sequence of four languages of Geula, what do we find? A fifth. Pasuk says, Ve'ivesi aschem el That after Kadosh Baruch Hu takes us out of Mitzrayim, and he takes us to be his nation, what's he going to do? He's going to take us now into Eretz Yisrael. So some explain that this fifth cup is connected, comes to represent that fifth language of Ve'ivesi. In fact, in 1948, after the establishment of the State of Israel, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Kasher petitioned the chief rabbin of Israel to have a fifth cup at the Seder. He wasn't crazy. There's already an idea in the Rambam and in the Ramah of having a fifth cup at the Seder. He said we should establish that we should all drink a fifth cup. Why? I'm going to bring you to the land that Kosh Baruch Hu did. It was the beginning of the Gula. And so for, therefore he said we should have a fifth cup. They rejected him and they, they didn't do so. Um, but nevertheless... It comes from this same place. Okay, that's great. But what does that have to do with Aliyahu? So take a look at source number 10, which is a Haggadah that is the Likute Hagra. It has the Minhagim of the Gra in it. It's a very beautiful Haggadah. And they quote a number of Minhagim, number of reasons for the coast of Aliyahu, and he quotes as follows. Tam Nosaf, what's the reason? Why do we call it the cup of Elijah? Because there's a machlokis in the Gemara, whether we need a fifth cup or not. And we don't have a psak of machlokis. Should there be a fifth cup? And should there not? And what does the Gemara always do when the Gemara has a kasha, has a question, and has a machlokis, and we don't know what to do? What does the Gemara say? Somebody unmute yourself and tell me what they say. Somebody, please. I can't talk to myself. Take you. Thank you. Take you. I just got to feel that we're talking to each other a little bit. Take you. Right? The Gemara says, Take you. Tough Yud Kuf Vav. What does that mean? Tishbi Yetaretz Kushios Vibayos. 
Eliyahu Navi, Eliyahu Tishbi, he will be the one to answer our questions. That's the Misora that we have, that when, that when Eliyahu Navi comes at the end of the days, he's going to answer all these questions that we don't have answers to, Eliyahu will answer them for us. So says the Grah, why do we call it Koshel Eliyahu? A very technically technical halachic reason. Because since we have a machlokas about whether we should have this cup or not, the cup is left Eliyahu Navi. He'll be the one to decide whether we drink it or not. So what do we do? We take a cup, we put it on the table, we pour wine in it, but we don't drink it. So we have a fifth cup, but just in case we need it. We don't drink it in case we're not supposed to. And Eliyahu will be the one to answer that kasha. Some actually have the minug. They say that the reason it's called Kosh Eliyahu is because that the actual individual who had this approach was not Rabbi Tarfim, but Rabbi, rather somebody named Eliyahu. And therefore it's called Kosh Eliyahu because this, this Amora, whose name was Eliyahu, he was of the opinion that uh, we should drink this cup. Fine. So that's answer number one to why many of the why many uh, believe we have this idea of a kosha aliyahu. It's a kosha aliyahu who will come to answer the kasha. Fine. Answer number two. Source number eleven. I'm sorry, it's a little hard to read. Um, this comes from the the Shemana Tov quotes this approach. And it, this goes back very very uh, you know many many centuries. The Shtehalechem who was Chacham Maram Chagiz who says I'll tell you why. What is Eliyahu known for? But Eliyahu doesn't just come to the Seder. When else does Eliyahu come to visit us? Someone again, please. Bismillah. Thank you so much, my brother-in-law. Thank you, David. Uh, Eliyahu comes, Eliyahu Malach Abris. Right? Eliyahu comes to a bris milah. Right? That's the two things Eliyahu does. He comes to a bris, and he comes to, a bris, comes to, uh, comes to the, the, the Pesach Seder. So if he didn't have to go to, the, to a bris, he'd be you know, a lot less busy. But he has to come to every single bris, and he goes to the Pesach Seder. So he's a very busy guy. So what does that have to do with us? So I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with us. Why does Eliyahu come to a bris? Because Eliyahu, we know, we know, was a very, very strong, he was a, he was a Navi. He gave very serious muster to Am Yisrael all the time. He was a person who was a zealot for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says that the, that the, the Jewish people, Azvu es brisacha. They, they, have, they have abandoned your covenant. They have abandoned your bris. So say Chazal, so what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? You, Eliyahu, you indicted the people. You said about them that they don't keep, keep bris milah. You're going to come to every bris milah. And you're going to be the aid. You're going to be the, the witness to see that the Jewish people indeed have not abandoned the bris. And you're gonna, it's almost like a punishment to him that he has to learn. That's not true. The people have done so. They continue to make a bris milah. And every bris milah, Eliyahu, you're going to come. So what does that do with the Pesach Seder? Well, there's one requirement for the, for the Korban Pesach. A person who is not at a bris milah is not allowed to eat the Korban Pesach. And therefore, what would happen? Eliyahu had to come to every single bris milah, and he would, sorry, to every single uh, Pesach Seder, and see all the people sitting eating Korban Pesach. What does it mean? It means they had a bris milah. And therefore, Eliyahu shows up at the Seder for the same reason that he shows up at every single bris. Okay. Very nice. And then you're saying to me, but Rabbi, we all know why it's called Kosh Eliyahu, right? It doesn't have to do with this machlokas and the Gemara. It doesn't have to do with Eliyahu Malach Abris. The real reason Eliyahu comes to the Seder is because Eliyahu is the person who brings the Mashiach. And in fact, we find in the Mishnah Berurah, in source number 13, that he writes exactly that. Says the Mishnah Berurah, amongst many, many, many other sources. Why do we, what do we do? We open the door. And we, we show that it's a, that it's a little shimurim, right? that it's a night that we're protected. 
Ve'em Yisra'arin, and we're not afraid that, that night. The night of the Seder, we're not afraid because the Leil Shemim were protected, protected by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ve'noagin ve'elum medinos, and there's a minog, says the Mishabura. Limzo kos achad yoter me'am besubin. We fill up one extra cup. That doesn't, it's not for any person at the table. Ve'korino so kosh eliyahu anavi, and we call it the kosh eliyahu. Sha'anu ma'minin she'keshem she'ga'anu Hashem Yisbarach mi'mitzrayim. Because we believe that just like a Karashbrach took us out of Mitzrayim, who Yigalanu owed the Yishlach Lanu as Eliyahu Livasreinu. That we believe that Eliyahu will also come and eventually bring the second Gula. Just like a Karashbrach fulfilled his promise to Avram Avinu, who said, Your children, go to Mitzrayim, go to a foreign place, and now I'm going to take them out. And I'll save them. And I'll take them to Eretz Yisrael. And he did it. So we believe that Karashbrach fulfilled that promise. He'll fulfill the promises made to the Nevi'im forever, which is that eventually Eliyahu will come to bring the Mashiach. And certainly it fits the entire Seder like this, right? The Seder, the first half of the Seder is all talking about what happened before, our, our leaving Mitzrayim. That's why we cut the, the Halal in half. The first two parts of Halal, about what happened to us before. What's the second half of the Seder? The entire second half is all about the Gula. It's all about Mashiach. Right, the second half of, of Hallel is all about singing for hoping for Mashiach will come. Nirza is all about davening for Mashiach. Hashem Echad, that the, the whole world will recognize the Kaddish Baruch Hu as Echad Miodeya. Okay, so that's why the third answer, why we have a Kosh Eliyahu, because it reminds us that in Mirza Hashem Eliyahu never will come and be the person who brings the Mashiach. But I want to share with you a very simple but very profound question that I heard asked just a little while ago. Rabbi Menachem Penner. Rabbi Penner is the dean of Ritz in uh, Yeshiva University. Tremendous darshan. He asked a very simple question. He said, if this cup is coming to remind us that Mashiach will come, that indeed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take us out of Galus, this Galus that we're in now, just like he took us out of Galus Mitzrayim. So the name of the cup should be the Kos Shell Mashiach. Why call it Koshal Eliyahu? What are the Eliyahu and Avi for? Just bring Mashiach. We're feeling all feeling that way right now, right? Just bring Mashiach already. Get it over with. Why call it the Kos Shel Eliyahu? And the answer can be found if you look in the Haftorah of Shabbos Agadol. I've read this Haftorah many times. And I never really thought about this until just now. The, the Haftorah Shabbos Agadol is, the actu- is actually the final Nevuah in all of Nevi'im. It's the last parak of Sefer Malachi, which is the final parak in all of Nevi'im. And it ends, the final two psukim of all of Nevi'im ends with the following line, which you know well. And you probably know the song. I'm going to send to you Eliyahu Navi. Lifnei bo yom Hashem ha'gadol v'hanor. When am I going to send him? Just before Mashiach. Just before that, that final days, the end of days, before that happens, that day of, that, that final day of the Kashbarach will finally come back and Mashiach will come. I send Eliyahu first. But why? Why send, send Eliyahu? Continues the Navi. V'heishiv lev avos abanim v'lev banim alavosam. What's going to happen? We're going to do tshuva. Children will go back to doing like their parents. Parents like children. Parents and children will come together. 
there'll be a tremendous tshuva movement. Penavo v'yikesi esa aretz cheirem. Unless, lest, says the Navi, I strike the whole land with other destruction. What's clear is that Eliyahu Navi comes to prepare us for Mashiach. He doesn't come just to announce that Mashiach is here, but to remind us that Mashiach is coming and we better get ready. If there's ever a time that we've seen uh, parents and children yearning for each other, children concerned for parents, parents concerned for children, as we have in the last number of weeks. I don't know if I've ever seen it like I've seen it in the last few weeks. Every person who you talk to says, How are you, how's your family? Good. How are your parents? That's the next question everybody asks, and they should ask it. We should all ask it. But more, more right now than, than, than ever. And the scary continuation of the line, which isn't in the song, Unless I come to destroy the world. I feel like it right now. But why is it Eliyahu's job? Why is Eliyahu the one who comes to get us to do tshuva? Other people could get us to do tshuva. Other people could get us to, to get our heads on straight. Why Eliyahu? Because that's who Eliyahu and Avi is. If you know the story of Eliyahu and Harkarmel, Eliyahu lived, lived at a time when the Jewish people had literally abandoned the Torah. Almost all of Am Yisrael had stopped keeping the Torah mitzvahs. And he goes, we, he, he does something that no one has ever done and never would do again. And a, a miracle that no one had ever seen. He challenges the Nevi Ha'ebal, the prophets of the, of the, the Avodah Zarah known as Baal, to a showdown. And he says, look, you want to know, people, if you should believe in them or believe in me, I'll show you. We'll go and we'll, we'll show up at HaKarmel, we'll both build, build a Mizbeach, and we'll both offer a, a sacrifice. And not only that, he says, I'll pour water all over my sacrifice and all over my Mizbeach and make it impossible to burn. And then let the Nevi Ha'abal, let them try to see HaKadosh Baruch bring a fire from Shemaim, and let's see how they do. And they daven and they daven and they daven, it doesn't work, nothing happens. And all the people are watching and waiting. And then it comes Mincha time, and Yahweh Nabi turns to Kadosh Baruch Hu, and he, he says to the people, on Masayat and Posu even how long are you going gonna, to, you know, skid the line here and not make a decision to follow Kadosh Baruch Hu, and he davens to Hashem, and a fire comes out from Shemayim, from the sky, and it blows up his Mizbeach. A tremendous experience. The people all scream, Hashem, Ulochim, Hashem, Ulochim. The same lines we, we, we scream on Yom Kippur. That they believe, we believe, we believe. Eliyahu is the master of tshuva. And that's why he's the person who brings us to the tshuva movement. Except there's only one problem. Because if you turn the page in the Navi, you're going to find out that it didn't really work. Yeah, the people screamed Hashem Elohim the next day already. They were running after Elio to chase him down. Because they were back to worshipping Avodah And Elio is despondent. How could it be? And Karash brings him to a mountain. And he makes him sit in a cleft of the rock. And he shows him a few things. And first, a fire passes in front of his face. And Hashem tells him, I'm not in that fire. And then a rash goes by, a tremendous sound shaking the earth, and Hashem says, I'm not in that either. Until finally he hears a cold mamadaka, a still, slow, a slow, still voice. And Hashem says to the Yawanavi, 
I'm in there. That cold mamadaka. Kashbarahu tells Ayo a phenomenal lesson in growth and in chinuch and in life. People don't come back and don't make changes because of one show, some, some experience they have one time. People decide to make changes when they hear that cold mama, that little voice inside of them which says it's time to do better. When they decide that they want it. Because without that desire, without them hearing their own voice, it'll never work, says God. And presumably this is why Eliyahu Navi is the Mivasar of Mashiach. He's the one who lets us know Mashiach is coming. Because Eliyahu has learned the lesson. That if you want to help the people, help Am Yisrael to want to really merit Mashiach, you have to teach them to hear the still, soft voice, the cold mamadaka, the experiences of life, the things that are happening all around us. And that's why the coast is not called the Koshel Mashiach, but Koshel Yahu. Yes, it represents a hope of a tefillah that the future will be brighter than the past and brighter than the present. That just as Hashem saves us from Mitzrayim, He'll save us also from this Galus. But it's also a reminder that there's something that we need to do. Because it's not only a hope. The Koshal Yo is a charge. It's a call to arms. Because as the Navi says, when Yo comes, it's now time to prepare. To make ourselves ready for Mashiach. And I want to share with you, for a few minutes, three examples of how I think the Seder, the Pesach experience in general, teaches us three lessons that we've learned from our current experience, from the experience of the last few weeks, and how I, I just, I can't stop but thinking. Let me, let me be clear, to learn lessons from this experience is, is challenging because we would never in a million years ever wish something this horrible on anyone, on any one individual, let alone the thousands of people who are suffering as a, as a result of it. It's not something that we ever would ask for. It's not something we want. We want it gone this moment if we can have it gone. But now that it's here, if we go through this experience and we remain exactly the same as we were before, I think that would be a tragic mistake. And so I think there's something we need to learn. And I, I want to share with you three lessons that I believe we need to learn. And they're lessons that come directly from the Seder itself that we need to start to reflect on. Number one, the value of the home. And not just the value of the home, but the value of the home as the ultimate place of Chinuch. The ultimate place where we teach our children. The Karim Pesach is all about the home. If you take a look at the, the, the psukim that describe the Karim Pesach in Mitzrayim, the word bias appears no less than eight times. Why is that? Because throughout the Karim Pesach experience in Mitzrayim, the home took the place of the Mizbeach. 
the home took the place of the Beis HaMetash itself. Every Korban has a specific place where it can be brought and it cannot be taken out of. The Allah is the Korban Pesach cannot leave the home. Korbanos can never be eaten or brought with chametz. The Korban Pesach has to be eaten in the home first by getting rid of the chametz. And number three, the, 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 the blood of a, of a Korban is always sprinkled where on the Mizbeach? Where do we sprinkle the blood of the Korban Pesach and Pesach Mitzrayim? On the doorpost to our homes. The home on the very first Pesach was, took priority over any other place in the world because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to remind us as we were becoming a nation we needed first to fortify our homes and see our homes as the number one place where we teach our children and ourselves to be Ovdei Hashem not a shul not a school not a Beis HaMikdash even first in the home and the Seder itself is the greatest Shabbos table in the world and it's not meant to be a one-night experience, but rather it's a lesson to us how we should conduct our table all year round. Source number 16, I have a quote from you from Rav Shem Hirsch, which you've probably seen, it's been going around. It's an incredible, incredible quote. Rav Shem Hirsch fighting the reform in the 1800s who focused so much on the shul more than anything else, the pomp and circumstance in the shul writes as follows, if I had the power, I would provisionally close all synagogues for a hundred years. Do not tremble at the thought of it. What would happen? Jews and Jewesses without synagogues desiring to remain such would be forced to concentrate on a Jewish life in a Jewish home. The Jewish officials connected with the synagogue would have to look to the only opportunity now open to them. To teach young and old how to live a Jewish life and how to build a Jewish home. All synagogues closed by Jewish hands would constitute the strongest protest against the abandonment of the Torah in home and in life. What an absolutely insane thing to say, right? Close all the shuls? First of all, who could ever imagine such a thing until now? But think about it. Think about how we've learned this lesson over the last few weeks. Quite literally, our homes have become our schools. We can't help but learn the lesson that the first place that our children need to learn to be committed Jews is in their house from their parents. We are their greatest teachers and we have to know that we always have the greatest impact on them at all times. Even when they go to school. They're learning the most from what they see inside their home. Number two. The power of tefillah. When it comes time for Am Yisrael to leave Mitzrayim, it doesn't happen until Vayizak el Hashem It wasn't until we cried out to Akadosh Baruch Hu that Nitziv writes this, that Nitziv says that when that Ami, that Paro finally dies and the people get a break for one day and they crash. They don't even say words, but they cry to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's at that moment when we decided to say something, to step up and ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to save us, that it activated something, and he did. It is astounding to watch the outpouring of tefillah by our members for each other. I wake up 
every morning and I look at the WhatsApp groups that unfortunately had to be started for members of our community that are active 24 hours a day, all hours of the day and night, people davening for each other. To say to Hillam every day with so many of you on Zoom, the tefillah, the power of tefillah, people emailing us, can you please send more, more lists of the people who need more tefillahs? It has been so powerful and so incredible. I wish we never needed it, but it's been incredible to watch. And I've personally felt a comfort in davening right now that I've never felt before, probably because I feel more helpless than I've ever felt in my whole life. More, more that I control zero in the world and that only a Baruch Hu does. We have learned about the power of tefillah in a way that we never understood it before. And only when we've been kicked out of our shuls. So many people have remarked to me that the 30 minutes when we daven on Zoom every day has been a lifeline for them. To come together to daven, it's not even actually tefillah b'tzibor. It doesn't matter. People see tefillah as an outlet. There's a secret, and that's that tefillah has always been our lifeline. We just don't always think about it that way. Think that's something we have to get done like everything else in our lives. And this horrible epidemic has reminded us of the power of tefillah in our lives. And number three, the power of having passion having a drive in our relationship with Torah Mitzvot and our relationship with the Kaddosh Baruch Hu. As we said before, Kaddosh Baruch Hu tells Eliyahu and Novi, no one's going to do it for Amisha. You can't put on a song and dance. You can't put on a show. No one's going to get them interested in having a relationship with the Kaddosh Baruch Hu. It is up to us as individuals. We read today in Pirkei Avos, during Mili says the Rambam, if I wait for someone else to inspire me and to light my fire, then I'll never be lit. We're living at a time where there's no one watching us. There's no one to judge us if we do or don't do anything. If I decide to daven, it's because I want to. If I decide to learn, it's because I have my own personal desire. If I have an interest in being careful, being medactic in mitzvos, doing whatever it's going to be, it's because I want it, because there's no one else to motivate me, because I can't even see anybody else. And the power of those moments to remind us to desire it for ourselves, to live a life that is on fire because we care about it, not because everybody else does it. There's no time right now to see anybody else, to feel the pressure of anybody else or the encouragement from anybody else, unfortunately. It's an opportunity to see how much we wanted ourselves. I want to tell you one more story. It's in source number 15. It's a story by Rabbi Ari Levin. Ari Levin, as many of you know, was called the Tzadik of Yerushalayim, not because that was his job, but because that's who he was. And Rabbi Levin would spend much of his time visiting people who had no one to visit them, giving chizik to individuals, 
who no one was interested in. In particular, he had an affinity for prisoners, Jewish prisoners. And he would go to the jail near his neighborhood. He would walk a long time. And he would visit them. And he'd talk with them. And it was for hours he would spend there. He wouldn't get in his car, drive over for 20 minutes and come back. It would take him many, many hours of his day. And one year in a Cholomboy Pesach, he visited a group of prisoners. And he started to ask them how things going, how things are. And then he spoke to them about their seders. How was their seder in prison? If you look at source number 15, Rabbi Spiro tells the story. Each man reminisced about his own seder and what it would have been like at home. Clearly it was one of the most difficult times of the year having a Seder by themselves without their family. But as they lamented their fate, one, light-hearted, one, one light-hearted voice spoke up. You know, everything was fine until the prayer of Shocham Ascha. I walked to the door and tried to open it for Eliyahu Anavi. But no matter how hard I tried, I was unable to open the door for him. As he finished his joke, there was an initial chuckle of laughter as he had eased the heavy atmosphere of the room. Obviously, they couldn't open the door because it's locked because they're in jail. But soon reality set in. No, the joke wasn't funny at all. They were prisoners. The door was not open and wouldn't open as long as they were stuck there, locked away from their freedom of life, perhaps never to be B'nai Chorin again. Who would know? Would al and Navi even come to free them when the rest of the Jews come to greet Mashiach, the pessimistic mood was palpable. Their tragic existence had never been so tangible. All eyes turned to Ari for some encouraging word on which they hinge their hopes. So what's Ari Levin going to say to this group? And he says as follows. Perhaps you think that you are the prisoners and because of that you can never go free. But that's not true. Every individual is really a prisoner. And we're all waiting to be freed by Aliyah Navi. But the way one is liberated is not through the front door of his house. One who thinks that th- that is the way will ne- one thinks that that is the way will never open, uh, will never truly be free. It's through the opening of one's heart. And if you open up your heart, then and only then will you be a Ben Charin. It doesn't make any difference who you are. You can be in the comfort where you are. You can be in the comfort of your own home or trapped behind bars. But if you open up your heart and let Eliyahu Navi in, then you will truly be free. I promise you. I think we felt over the last few weeks like prisoners in our own home, in our own community. Can't go outside without a gloves or a mask or it's, it's an experience that I just can't describe. And the daily messages about people who we care about, who are sick, and Rahman Latzlan who have passed away, is, it's unbearable. It's unbearable. I personally can't handle it anymore. And I, I just know, I know that you can't either. It's just too hard. I don't know if you've heard this. The Balaturim writes... That just as when Amishal, the very first school happened, we'd be locked, we were locked in our homes. You couldn't leave the house. Because the plague of the, 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 of Makas Bechoros was outside. You had to lock yourself in your house to protect yourself. 
The Balatuim writes the same thing is going to happen in the Geula Asi Lava. In the future, Geula will be locked in our homes and unable to go outside. I'm not a, I'm not a person who talks about Mashiach. If there was ever a time when we needed to prepare ourselves for Mashiach, this is that time. When we open that door, at the Seder. It's not a kid, it's not a Baba Misa, it's not a silliness, it's not easy to drink the cup, is he not going to drink the cup? It's an opportunity to make a Kabbalah. It's an opportunity to pour out our hearts. Yeah, we want Kadosh Baruch Hu to take care of the nations of the world. He's doing it right now. But the Shvoch needs to be Shifchi kamayim yibeich to pour our hearts out to Kadosh Baruch Hu. To tell him that we're ready. And to ask ourselves that after all this is over, and it should be over very, very soon, as is Hashem, it should be over as quickly as it possibly can be over. But like I said before, when it's finally over, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to be the same parent and role model that I was before this started? Is my relationship with tefillah going to be the same as it was before all of this? And I'm going to walk out of here, finally walk out of my house with the same level of dedication to my relationship with Torah and mitzvahs as it was before. And if our answers are no, they won't be the same. We refuse to be the same after all of this. That we commit ourselves to do more, to be more of who we can be. If we make that promise to ourselves, we make that promise to the Rebbeinu Sholem, to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, then hopefully that should be a zechus. That could be a zechus for us and for the Am Yisrael and for the entire world. That this year the Koshal Yahu is not a Baba Misa, it's not a cute thing, but that we open the door and prepare ourselves for our real Gula. Bimher Amenu. Amen. I thank all of you for joining us tonight. Really, really gives me such, such chizik to learn together, to be together. And I look forward to uh, talking again very, very soon. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. 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 Thanks to me, guys. Thanks to me. Thanks to me. Thanks to me.
Alles zum Werk, Geist. Thank you, Rabbi. Thanks, Rabbi. Thanks. Thanks, Rabbi. Thanks. Thanks, Rabbi. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.